Most people have heard of phytoestrogens, but did you know there are beneficial phytoandrogens that mimic and support testosterone and more? The top source of these is pine pollen. If you're looking for 100% natural hormonal support for men and women, you've got to try this. Right now, Lost Empire Herbs' best-selling pine pollen is available for one penny plus shipping and handling. Go to GeniusPollen.com to find out more and grab yourself a bag today. No hidden charges, no trial offer, no shenanigans. Just a low-cost way to try Lost Empire Herbs' top product for next to nothing. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Anastasios Arima. He goes by Tasso. He's the CEO of Hyperion X. Uh, they're developing zero carbon, sustainable, critical materials and metals. We're going to talk about what that entails. Tasso, thank you for coming. Right. Thanks, Richard. Nice uh, to be on the podcast. Yeah, if you would, tell me a bit about your background and what led to you either founding or running Hyperion X. Yeah, so from the accent, you can tell I grew up in Australia, grew up in Perth, Western Australia, which is a very mineral-focused economy. I'm originally from Greece, and I got involved early on in my career as the founder of a company in the coal space, which did very well, took it from nothing to a billion dollars. And then I got out of fossil fuels when I moved to the United States in about 2015, 2016, and then started a company called Piedmont Lithium. So started focusing on the lithium supply chain for the US, reshoring it for the clean energy future that we, we need to and will be progressing towards. And again, took that company and grew it. And during that time, learned a lot about the supply chain needs of the US. And once Piedmont was successful, I wanted to focus my attention on titanium because titanium and other critical minerals that are typically found with titanium in short supply and are needed for our clean energy future. Mm. Yeah, I, don't, I haven't thought about titanium much at all. I don't think most people do. It just seems to exist and be available. But uh, what, what does its supply chain look like? Where is it mined? and What are some of the nuances of it? It's quite a complex supply chain. From the minerals extraction side of the business, there's a few countries in the world, China, Australia, South Africa, Ukraine was a big, big exporter of titanium minerals. We were a very large producer of titanium minerals. We still produce a small amount, but we are 92% import reliant on the titanium minerals, which typically go into our paint and pigment sector. But then when you look at taking those minerals and making them into metal, which is, and titanium metal is a lightweight, strong corrosion-resistant metal. It's the highest strength to weight ratio metal out. There's only a few companies which, or a few countries which control that supply chain today. And that's dominated by China and Russia with over over 70% going towards 80%. So, Good question. Good question here. So the US, you're talking about the US, the US imports most of it, but what is the possible production capacity of titanium if the US wanted to produce its own, could it? We, so from the mineral perspective, there's, as we've found with our titanium mineral deposit that we have, is that there's a significant amount of titanium minerals available, but it's not just about that. It's about having the right sort of processing. Titanium is very tough 
very hard to process. And that's why only a few countries do it. In the US, we were the first nation to commercialize the process of taking the titanium minerals, which is essentially titanium dioxide and manufacturing titanium metal. But that process has now moved offshore and is dominated by China and Russia. And so we need to focus on bringing that processing capacity back, but we can't bring it back using the traditional, what they call the crawl process, which is what we commercialized because it's not only very expensive, it's high energy intensity and it's very dirty. That's uh, one of the key reasons it's it moved offshore to places like China and Russia. So we need to focus on process innovation to bring it back to the United States. And that's where that's where our business comes in. We have a disruptive technology that we're deploying. We're producing titanium from this disruptive technology and we're planning to scale it in the near term. What are the base materials or minerals that, you know, what's the ore from which titanium is extracted? So it's really just sand. So it's not traditional as you would think in the industry. So you have essentially concentrated titanium mineral deposits in in sand deposits around the world. You can have it from what they call hard rock deposits where you need to drill, blast and, you know, leach out the titanium. We are not targeting those sort of deposits. We're targeting deposits which we call are much more sustainably, which are more sustainable to develop. That's why we call it minerals extraction. It's more akin to farming, we think, because you essentially just take out the sand, you filter out using gravity, the titanium and other heavy minerals from the sand and you put the sand right back in the void behind you and you reclaim and rehabilitate behind you. So that's typically what we're targeting. That's typically how the Western world has developed their titanium deposits. It's not how China develops their titanium deposits, but the minerals typically extracted that way. So quite widely available. Then, especially here in the United States with what we see, but really it's the it's then the processing, the downstream processing of those minerals, which is really tough. What happens to the nature of the sand area after you extract the heavy minerals and the titanium out of it? You said you brought it back, but you know, now the sand composition is different. Has anyone looked at you know what happens to the, the ecosystem once yeah, it's, so uh, it's mined? It's a good question. And we're working on advanced sustainable rehabilitation methods with the University of Tennessee, its Institute of Agriculture, to look at bringing the land back to even better than what it was before and, and faster and looking at native uh, species of grasses and other, other soil amendments, which can really improve, significantly improve the land post operations. But historically, here in the United States, there was some work done by uh, Virginia Tech in a historic mine in Virginia, and it showed that within 10 years, yields were back to normal, if not a little bit more than what they were prior to the operations being there. So the industry already has a history of being able to bring land back to to similar to what it was before. We're trying to go that extra step further and actually significantly improve the land post operations. You actually don't change. If anything, you, you by turning the land, turning the soil and turning that sand, you create opportunities to improve the land post operations use. Well, are there any... Does life feed on any of these heavy minerals, including titanium? And no, where does, no. How does it form? No, life doesn't feed off any of that. No, it's too deep for that. You're not affecting the topsoil, you know, In and again, you're not doing anything to the soil, which would affect life post-operations. You essentially, the titanium minerals, are they're not used by 
any of the plants or or anything like that in the growth of of those plants. So what we are looking to do is look at advanced soil rehabilitation methods when we are putting the land back and reclaiming and rehabilitating the land, which happens actively in these operations, which which will significantly improve the land post-use and and give opportunity to the landowners to to look at new sources of income or or new sources of crops or or operations on their land post-us being. You said that, uh, I know there's at least one study where the the sands were replenished. I guess maybe therefore mineable again. What's the cycle of uh, the formation of titanium and its various minerals? Does anyone even know that at all? Yeah. So the formation of our particular titanium deposit in Tennessee and and the deposits here is originates from the formation of the Appalachian Mountains hundreds of millions of years ago. So the Appalachians were once as high as you know the Alps were or the Himalayas were, and then erosion over the many hundreds of millions of years eroded away those mountains and the heavy minerals all those minerals came down through the streams back you know hundreds of millions of years ago and about 65 million years ago in our area these heavy minerals were concentrated in the beach sands you would actually see if you go up close to jacksonville you can actually see titanium minerals in the beach sands right there it's the little black speckles so you that back 65 million years ago is what was happening out here in west tennessee and concentrating all those heavy minerals which includes titanium and the rare earth minerals as well well how can an area be rejuvenated after 10 years though what would bring in additional types i guess i guess it's just but just from huge sources it's still traveling and accumulating places that were already mined or how would it replenish itself do you think no it it doesn't replenish itself so once you extract the sand out you take the titanium minerals out and you put all the sand back in and you reclaim and rehabilitate behind you so that deposition of those minerals happened and stopped 65 million years ago so there'll be for instance in outside of jacksonville there's what happened 65 million years ago is happening there right now where those titanium minerals are coming down and being deposited there but obviously you don't want to mine on a beach in jacksonville (laughs) Um, so it's not a replenishment of these minerals we're taking these minerals out sustainably and we're putting the ground back or putting the land back to what we think would be better than what we found it at. And it's not a case of it's going to be 10 years later. We're thinking a year, two years later, three years later, post-operations. Most supplements are taken on faith and can take weeks or months to have an effect. Even supplements backed by scientific studies may or may not deliver those same benefits to you. But what if you could feel the results of what you took within just a few days? Lost Empire Herbs offers the highest quality, wild-harvested, non-irradiated pine pollen and that can dramatically impact your hormones fast. Right now, you can grab it for one cent plus shipping and handling at GeniusPollen.com. Oh, okay. And you were mentioning it's very challenging to separate the titanium out. What are some of the processes that you can talk about that are difficult and why? So we need to distinguish now, Richard, between titanium minerals and titanium metal. So our mineral operation is very conventional where you just use gravity and water to separate out those minerals. And you get the titanium minerals, which is minerals of titanium dioxide, ilmenite and rutile. You get zircon minerals, which is a zirconium metal in its mineral form. And then you uh, you get the rare earth minerals that are needed for, for electric vehicles. Now, there's a difference between the titanium dioxide. Titanium minerals you can use in the manufacture of paint and pigment like Camus and Tronox use them extensively, but then taking the titanium dioxide and creating titanium metal is a completely separate, separate animal. So there's quite a large titanium minerals and titanium pigment industry. It's what 
you know, is the base of all paints in the world. But titanium metal has not been wide, has not seen widespread use because taking those minerals and making it into metal is very expensive and very complex. So that's where our, what we call our titanium metals business comes in. So in an effort to reshore the whole titanium supply chain from ore through to titanium metal in the ground, the titanium metal from ore in the ground through to titanium metal. We focused on securing not just a titanium deposit of minerals in the ground, but also breakthrough technology, which can uh, lower the energy requirements and eliminate their emissions and make titanium metal lower cost and, and far more widely used by industry. Well, once you have the initial separation of the minerals, then how do you um, strip out the inessential or the non-essential parts and just get the titanium metal? So it's a good question. That's where our technology comes into play. So historically, taking titanium dioxide and extracting out the oxygen was extremely tough. So titanium metal is a superior metal. People would use it extensively if it was cheap enough. It's like 45% lighter than steel. Its alloys can be, you know, three times, four times stronger than stainless steels, but it's even more corrosion than corrosion resistant than stainless steels. And it's actually, its strength to weight ratio is even higher than aluminum. So some components, if you look at structural components made out of aluminum, if you replace them with titanium, they could be even lighter. But because of its cost, it hasn't been used. It should. So, you know, this is what we need to address. So historically, the way titanium dioxide has been converted into titanium metal and to essentially break those titanium oxygen bonds, which are really tough to break. That's what you know, really unusual. Out of all the metals out there, it's the hardest. It, it's got one of the most, the greatest affinity to oxygen. So breaking those titanium oxygen bonds has been the focus of the, the historic process called the Kroll process. And the way the Kroll process broke those bonds and created titanium metal is this. You would hit it with a lot of energy, a lot of carbon, and a lot of chlorine. So that energy would break those bonds the oxygen would be attracted to the carbon, creating carbon dioxide, and so heavy, heavy emissions. And then you'll be left over with titanium bonding with the chlorine, creating titanium tetrachloride. They call it tickle in the industry. Then you will take that tickle, that titanium tetrachloride, and under a vacuum, you would, you would react it with molten magnesium metal. And that molten magnesium metal would react with the chlorine at that point, creating magnesium chloride and leaving behind titanium metal. But you would have to distill out that molten magnesium chloride in under high temperatures over a long period of time. So it was a, it's a very long energy intensive batch style process. And you'll be left over with titanium sponge, titanium metal in a spongy appearance. And then you'll have to go through multiple melting steps of that sponge to get purified titanium metal. So very energy intensive, very carbon intensive, and very costly process to make purified titanium metal ingots. This is where our technology comes in, where it completely eliminates and reduces the complexity and cost of the process. I was wondering how you how you keep the titanium passivated once you separate it from the oxygen. Because I would think you would instantly want to go back and grab more oxygen and reoxidize. So I guess the chlorine does that, right? Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. 
I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the uh, you know the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Yes, so that's where in the initial, it's actually a good question, in the initial reaction at high temperature in the chlorination part, that's why you have the chlorine there because you want the titanium attracts itself to the chlorine. And then once you've created a titanium metal sponge, it's at least metal, but it does pick up oxygen again a little bit. And that's why you have to go through some multiple melt steps to get it purified. And there's that affinity to oxygen, titanium metal always has. So it's it's hard to then continue to process. So, you know, it's a very complex, it's a very costly way to produce titanium metal, but it was the only commercial way up until the development of our process. So I know, you know, your process, I'm sure is proprietary, but what uh, differences can you point out? How is it different versus conventional work? So... Our process is more like taking a scalpel to those titanium oxygen bonds. So prior to, and our process was developed as a background, our process was developed by Dr. Zach Fong out of the University of Utah. He's a um, renowned metallurgist and he was funded by the Department of Energy's RPRE program, which is the Advanced Research Programs Agency, to look at a lower cost way of making titanium metal. And essentially, his work led to a scientific breakthrough or scientific discovery, which was not seen before, which was that hydrogen, when introduced to that titanium oxygen system, would actually destabilize that oxygen-titanium bond. And all of a sudden, you didn't have to use that energy and you and the chlorination process to refine titanium dioxide to titanium metal. You could simply just under a hydrogen atmosphere with at relatively low temperatures, you could react titanium with any metal reductant. In in our case, we use magnesium metal and you could create purified titanium metal in a much more benign, much more sustainable way without the use of carbon. So completely emissions-free. And you can use, if you use renewable power in your furnaces, it's completely emissions-free and it's far less complex and so far less cost. Additionally, from the get-go, we make titanium metal powders and we can make them either angular or we can make them spherical and thus ready to go directly into 3D printing applications. Yeah, nice. I was about to ask you, what are the applications of the titanium you produce? So some is 3D printing, I guess, small spheres for sintering, I would guess. And what other applications is it for? So whether... From titanium powder, you can go anywhere. You've got like a discrete ingot in your powders. So you could go into like press and sinter applications. There was a lot of work done by DARPA, which is the Defense Research Agency within the Department of Defense, the Advanced Research Agency within the Department of Defense. Some years ago, they did a lot of work into titanium metal powders to 
titanium metal plate and other near net shape products. Typically, we use additive manufacturing or advanced manufacturing methods like metal injection molding to go into products. So titanium metal powders today, they cost two to three times more than stainless steel and aluminum powders, but we believe our Costs. We believe our process can bring those costs substantially down, potentially in the future, but well below um, stainless steel aluminum powders. So with the growing use of additive manufacturing, we can make a lot of components and parts using additive, whether it be laser bed powder fusion, whether it be binder jetting, whether it be powder DED. We could go from powder into wire and supply wire DED manufacturers, and we can do it all at lower cost, all at zero emissions, and all at a US supply chain as well. So that's a huge advantage given that China and Russia today controls the titanium supply chain from the upstream and midstream side. Well, so in general, uh, if you compare the energy inputs and the material inputs for the traditional process versus yours, and then the energy usage and then you know the quality of the outputs, what does that look like? Generically, like I, you guys, an order of magnitude less in energy or inputs, or we're about fifty percent, about fifty percent less in less in energy, so a significant amount, fifty percent lower energy usage, and then we have no need for those that carbon, so we're zero emissions, far less steps involved to get to an end titanium metal product, especially when you look at us going to powder compared to the traditional process to titanium metal powders, so far less complex. If you look at going all the way to titanium metal powders, we would be far less energy. We haven't done the modeling around that. I would assume it's probably 80 to 90% less less energy intensive when we go all the way to powders compared to the traditional processed powders, maybe even more. It's a step change in energy. It's a complete elimination of the emissions within the supply chain. And it's a significant reduction in, well, a step change in the cost as well of titanium metal. Okay, well, very good. What kind of uh, customers do you guys have? What industries seem to be the most interested in the technology and the, the resource? So for us, we're targeting customers who would have loved to use titanium, but because of its cost have not used it. I mean, you look at your everyday products and you look at you know everyday products, there's a lot that are made out of either stainless steel or aluminum. And if you can make them as cheap or at the same cost out of titanium, then you're going to make them out of titanium. They're going to be lighter, they're going to be stronger, and they're going to be longer lasting because they're more corrosion resistant. So this is everything from, you know, consumer goods like watches, smartphones and smartwatches, all the way through to components and parts in an automobile. In the transportation sector, especially in in the automotive and trucking sector, there's an added benefit in that that light weighting also reduces emissions, has a secondary or indirect effect of reducing emissions. So today, there's a lot of steel use still in some of the structural components within or stainless steel or high strength steel use in structural components within, say, EVs or in trucks. And if you could lightweight them, you get either better energy efficiency, so less less fuel, less CO2 emissions from, say, existing trucks, or say, in the electric vehicle supply chain today, lowering the weight means more battery range. So you get better energy density within within that vehicle. It helps to proliferate the use of electric vehicles, helps make them more competitive with 
internal combustion engines. So we're working across the automotive sector, across the consumer electronics sector, across the consumer goods sector, where the benefits of titanium as a metal, profound, but also where consumers are looking for metals that are, or raw materials going into these products that are far more sustainable. One point we haven't touched on is that the current industry as well within the titanium metal industry cannot take 100% scrap and produce a 100% recycled product. We are the only company in the world which can produce a 100% recycled titanium metal product from our powders. Mm. So that's another thing, another key point that industry likes to see as well. So not only do we offer titanium metal, which is a far superior product, into these uh, OEMs, into these customers. We also offer a metal, which is far superior in its sustainability profile as well. So Kika, like we've actually had to stop a lot of our customer interactions because we're focusing on a few of the key customers to get them. We're printing parts now for them, prototyping parts, and we just don't have enough powder production capacity today to meet or everyone's demand. So we want to focus on a few key customers where we want to announce them really soon, come to the market with a titanium metal product. And as we grow, we can continue to add customers. But I, I think the opportunities are limitless across various industries. Imagine lightweighting pumps and piping and structures within the marine industry to make it more energy efficient, make it more longer lasting all the way to in 20 or 30 years' time, why can't we have titanium used in bridge construction where you wouldn't need to use any more paint? There'll be a lighter bridge. There'll be more energy efficient. There'll be far longer lasting. I mean, we've got a massive issue with our bridges today, which are made out of steel. They're all crumbling. Whereas titanium, they'll last, I don't know, hundreds of years. So, you know, Will I you, think- um, does tit- Can titanium be used as an outer coating of steel? Yeah, or I was asked that question. A- I was asked that question before... You could potentially use it that way, but I think with the cost structure that we're eventually aiming for, I mean, there's not going to be a not going to be a need to in some cases. In some cases, you might want to look at those opportunities of 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 some sort of composite. Where titanium is used a bit as a composite is is with carbon composites. It has no you don't see any galvanic corrosion between titanium and carbon composites, and that's why it's used extensively in the seven eight seven. Whereas Carbon composites corrode when uh, there's galvanic corrosion of steel and aluminum when attached to carbon composites. So there's a huge advantage there, in, which is an additional lightweighting advantage as well, which you could see in the future. Okay. Well, very good. Tasso, what's the best place for listeners to find out more about uh, your company and your work? Where can they go? To perionx.com website. We also have our Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok pages. If you just look them up on X, so our website is iperionx.com, and just sign up to receive updates and keep you up to speed with, with everything that happens or you know, follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, Facebook. You'll get up to speed on all our activities. Okay. Well, very good. Tasa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. I really appreciate it too. Thanks very much, Richard. Remember, before you go, to grab your one penny bag of pine pollen for all the amazing all natural hormonal support that men and women the world over are raving about. Try it out and see how it works for you. All you have to do is head to geniuspollen.com to grab your bag today. Within days, you may be able to notice greater energy, more focus, added recovery, and more. Again, please visit geniuspollen.com to learn more now. Thank you. If you like this podcast, 
please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.